Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. No matter how long you've been in the kitchen, there is always something new to learn, whether it's a simple twist on an old technique or a handy tip to save time and energy. And every Sunday, I share the best of the food world and its ability to feed your soul. I cover all things delicious with some travel and tech and lifestyle thrown in. And as a certified sommelier, I'll share a wine pairing or a cocktail inspiration along the way. So I'm glad that you've tuned in today because we have a terrific show planned. And please know that I value your feedback. So if you have a topic or question that you'd like me to explore, just shoot me an email at jamie at chefjamie.com or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at chefjamiegwen. I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, at chefjamie.com. And this past week, I received an email through the website asking about clarified butter, and it inspired me. So I went directly to the kitchen, and I made some. Why, you ask? Well, for many chefs, clarified butter is the cooking fat of choice. It is butter from which the milk solids, the water, and the whey proteins have been removed. Now, for the record, for those of you that know me or have listened to this show for many years, um, for which I am very grateful, I absolutely love the flavor of butter. Now, I believe in everything in moderation. Three bites of chocolate cake is just enough to get your chocolate craving. And I believe that bacon and butter do make most things better. But butter is what I reach for most often when I'm cooking or when I'm baking or when I want to slather a warm piece of bread. Now, the problem with whole butter in cooking is that it actually has a very low smoking point, meaning that it doesn't take too much heat before it starts to sputter and smoke and eventually it will burn. And by the way, I use always unsalted butter in all of my cooking. The only place that salted or lightly salted butter preferably has in my kitchen is if I'm having a dinner party and serving warm, beautiful bread at the table with what we call butter service. Then I might put out an elegant, lightly salted European butter. But otherwise, I cook with and I bake with unsalted butter all the time. I like unsalted butter because I can determine the salt in my food. And I recommend that you should too. Now, since whole butter does burn quickly to combat it, when you want to sear a steak on top of the stove or saute vegetables, you cut the butter with a little bit of olive oil, right? Well, instead, you should reach for clarified butter. Now, because it's clarified, it has a lot of benefits. Not only does it have a higher smoking point, the butter also lasts longer because the milk solids actually cause standard butter to go rancid very quickly. And once they've been removed, you can actually keep the butter longer. Now, of course, the milk solids do impart a richer flavor. So clarified butter doesn't have the same depth of flavor as standard butter. And oftentimes I'll finish a sauce or a dish with just a pat of butter and let it melt, like let's say over a steak, so that I get that richness, preferably a compound butter, right? One that you've added really extraordinary flavor to. Now, making clarified butter 
is very simple and you can make as much or as little as you want. And the resulting very rich deliciousness is a beautifully clear golden liquid when it's melted. And it's preferred in a lot of recipes, again, because it can be cooked at higher temperatures than standard butter. Now, you can find clarified butter or the Indian type, which is called ghee, in many cooking stores and specialty markets. But it is costly. And it is so much more easily made and less expensively made at home. So again, use unsalted butter and a good quality one because you will definitely notice the difference when it's reduced down. And a little jar of clarified butter in the refrigerator is really nice to have on hand. I keep mine well wrapped. And in fact, I'll put it in a a Ziploc bag rather than cover it with plastic wrap because it will take on the flavors of your refrigerator, just like any, you know, regular old stick of butter would. But when you're scrambling eggs in the morning or... If you're searing meat or um, sauteing fish or uh, cooking vegetables in a skillet or just a pot of lovely rice, I will say clarified butter comes into play really well. And of course, in the pastry kitchen, I will say that pastry chefs prefer clarified butter to bake with very often and they'll make a large batch and keep it and then scrape it or soften it as needed. Now to make your own clarified butter, all you do is gently melt the butter over low heat in a heavy bottomed saucepan. And I like a saucepan that has a light colored bottom preferably so that you can see when the butter uh, or catch the butter, I should say, before it turns brown. Now, I have seen clarified butter done in the microwave. I haven't tried it yet, but if you do, please email me, jamie at chefjamie.com and let me know how it turns out. As the butter melts, the milk solids will sink to the bottom and the water and the whey protein will gently bubble to the top. And after the water has evaporated, you skim the foam It's sort of like a dry foam, which is the way from the top of the clarified butter. And you get this pure, golden, beautiful, I mean, absolutely stunning liquid. Now, if you've gone too long and the bottom of the pot begins to turn brown with little brown specks, you have made brown butter. And I will say that's pretty delicious as well because I think everything is better with brown butter and I will oftentimes brown my butter for a little bit of that hazelnut, nutty, or as they call in the French term, noisette flavor. But for pure clarified butter, once you've skimmed the foam and you've noticed that the solids sink to the bottom and they're white, you want to very gently pour the clarified butter into some sort of a heat-proof container, making sure not to disturb the milk solids at the bottom. And remember that two sticks of butter will eventually give you about half the yield. So you will lose about half in the process. And that's okay, by the way, because you're losing water and whey and... That's what the goal is, in fact. Now, once you cool the clarified butter, cover it and refrigerate it until you're ready to use it. And then, of course, you can make Thomas Keller's banana bread pudding. If you have not seen Thomas Keller's banana bread pudding before, it is a sight. And you can find the recipe posted at chefjamie.com. He actually calls for clarified butter in the recipe, uh, and it is uh, truly scrumptious, I should say. Speaking of the website, there are a few things this week you will not want to miss, like my Think Like a Chef feature to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. This week's feature is 
all about how you can grind your way to a better burger. Because if you want to make the best burgers on the barbecue this summer or meatballs and red sauce or even Sunday supper meatloaf, then you should be grinding your own beef. And I've given you all the suggestions you need, a tutorial, in fact, on how you can use the grinder attachment of your KitchenAid mixer, but you can even use your food processor too. And I've given you some suggestions for combinations of meat that are really luscious. You'll also find my weekly dish on the website at chefjamie.com, a grilled lemon rosemary brick chicken. It has a really pungent lemony marinade. You do need a brick wrapped in foil or a cast iron skillet, or if you have a salt block, bring it on. And uh, I will say it's probably some of the best chicken you've ever had. And then a tequila watermelon cooler to wash it all down when the summer season's watermelon is prime and sweet. And then a seasonal recipe to inspire you to grill. I've posted my grilled eggplant parmesan. It's an innovative way to add pizzazz to your summer barbecues. Oh, and a ridiculously good rhubarb fool, which is a vintage recipe with a taste of summer. So check it out and let me know what you think. And do not touch your dial because there is so much more delicious conversation coming up. Chef Mark Vetri is stopping by next and he is sharing his wisdom on mastering pasta. He is no doubt the noodle king. And Mindy Siegel, Chicago's best pastry chef, is dropping by. She has cookie love. Plus, Sarah Chase is cooking up New England classics later in the hour. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with more fabulous food right after this. Offering you wisdom from the pros every Sunday, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. So, do you want to up your pasta game? Well, my next guest has been making and researching pasta for more than 20 years, so you can take your knowledge to the next level right here and right now. Chef Mark Vetri is the chef and owner of Philadelphia's Vetri family of restaurants, operating a collection of the country's most acclaimed Italian eateries, including Vetri Amis and Lo Spieto, amongst others. His new cookbook release is entitled Mastering Pasta, and he's teaching the know-how on more than 30 types of pasta dough and every beautiful pasta craving that you can imagine. And I am delighted that Mark is joining us live. I'm glad to have you, Chef. Welcome. Hey. Hey. Thanks okay. very much for having me. Yes, of course. And congratulations, because this book is a lot of years in the making, I know. It was supposed to be 10 years ago, yeah. as you speak you know, about. Well, it was just one of those, I think, things that uh, that I had always wanted to write about. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the earlier sort of years, you know, I think that everybody, they wanted the uh, the, the vetri, uh, the, the recipes, you know. They yes. wanted the other items that were on the menu there for a lot hmm. of years, you know. So even though, you know, I actually wanted, you know, to write this, you know, large, large thing about the uh, noodles, you know, they wanted... The other items, you know, the the meats and the, the fish and all that stuff. So the secret I recipes. had to wait, and and then they wanted, you know, the home style recipes, you know. So I had to write, you know, the other items uh, first. But right. uh, they finally let me write, you know, what I wanted to write. So okay. I'm very happy about that. Yeah, yes, and we're happy about it too because this is what you wanted to write. This is 
pasta sensibility. I love that in the introduction. And I love that you say that pasta is very misunderstood. Your life, as you say, is one long sheet of pasta. Every day takes on a different shape or filling. But why do you think that noodles are so hard to handle? No pun intended. I know, right? You know, I don't think they're they're necessarily hard to handle, but I think any, whenever, you know, you have to use like raw flour and then like mix it up with some sort of liquid, you know, I, I think folks start to get uh, nervous about it. You know, oh my God, am I using not enough eggs? Am I using too many eggs? Um, is this actually, uh, you know, going to work? Is You know, so that's the reason that I think is it's a very uh, misunderstood. But once you start having the knowledge about it and understanding, I think, the relationship between the, the flour, the eggs, the vegetables, and everything else that, you know, sort of happens, I think it's really easy to make. Okay, so give us a handle on wheat, because there are a lot of choices today. You know, you can substitute flours. You can go the gluten-free alternative pretty successfully. And each flour has its own characteristic, its own strength, its own elasticity, as you talk about. So for the, for the very basic pasta dough, like your simplest, um, which I think is the first thing to master, an egg yolk dough. Yeah. Well, I think that that's the easiest. And you know what? I'm all about the wheat flavor now. And, you know, that can really only, you know, start, you know, to happen once you start milling your own wheat, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously not the easiest. That's, you know, sort of at another level. So we won't sort of talk about that now. But, you know, but I think, first of all, we have to stop thinking that um, we have to get flour from 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 Italy. Okay. Um, you know, because everyone's always asking me, "Oh, you know, I use only this double this, O, uh, right? Double zero flour from Italy. Uh, you know, ill this, that, the other thing, and but that's the only thing that I can make work. And and if you think about, you know, what that is, that's actually wheat from America that. We sell them over there. They mill it, and mm-hmm. then they, they they sell it back to us. Italian double zero flour. Right. Thank you for de- debunking the myth. It's really, um, it's American wheat, right. most of it, you mm-hmm. know. So we can just use, you know, our wheat, you know. And uh, you can almost, you know, I, I actually started liking just simple bread flour. Okay. You know, I just... Mix it with eggs or, you know, you know, what I like now is actually using some, some whole eggs and I, I and then I like using some of the, uh, the, the yolks also, you know, because that adds, uh, oh, richness, the, the right? richness, yes. you know, so it's all about, you know, so eggs, you know, whole eggs will add, you know, texture. I, I agree. I agree. Review the boiling technique for us, please, because you say it's a most important process, and I believe so, but it seems so simple to mess up, right? It's really important, the vast quantity of water, as you speak about in the book, right, and well-seasoned water, and the boiling technique is important. Absolutely. Well, number one, you have to have enough salt, you know, and you're going to think that it's really over-salted, but it isn't. You know, it really has to have a lot of salt in it. Okay. And then you have to have enough um, water in there so that when you add the actual noodles in there, that it really doesn't stop the boil. Okay. You know, because if it stops and it, you know, and it, you know, sort of 
slows up. Um, it just messes everything up. Changes the texture of the noodle. Yeah. Okay. I have some recipes that, by the way, almost lick the page in your book that I cannot wait to make. Like, I love this concept of open lasagna. So you use a sheet of pasta like you would a pizza crust, and then you top it with, and I, how do you not love scamorza? I mean, scamorza, oh, scamorza, yummy, oh smoked cheese, asparagus, that one. Yes. Yeah. Oh, That's and a great one. lots of ooey gooey mozzarella, fig and onion. With the gorgonzola sauce, that one. Is that yes. One? Yeah. With the fonduta. What a combination. And then. Um, I love that you add flavor to the dough. So like a parsley puree or a vegetable addition really takes your pasta dough with one simple ingredient to the next level. You get color, you get flavor, you get texture, right? Well, I think that's actually something that's really sort of sort of neat. And that just adds another layer. You know, you know when you think about food and you think about items, you're thinking about layers of flavor, you mm-hmm. know, so... Normally, the noodle is really all about the actual texture, and then the sauce is the actual flavor. But mm-hmm. what if you add flavor to the to the dough, the noodle? You know, right. then you have another layer in mm. there, and that's what you're looking for. So, you know, the layers. Yes, I thought that it would make you like me more if I told you I owned a chitara. Uh, but the chitara, everyone the chitara. does that, though. And it's very normal. It's like guitar strings that cut pasta. It's yeah. the fanciest, most wonderfully simple contraption. And, and it's so fun yes. to work with. And that's what all this this is anyway. It's, you know, just fun. And mm. you're just making different flavors and different shapes and mm. different textures and stuff. And it's just, you know, fun. Yeah, there's something wonderful about it. I will say I had um, never heard of and I was grateful to learn about Testarolo. Testarolo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is a really interesting concept to me. It's a batter, essentially, like a crepe, but it's thicker, right? It has a, a bit more density it's a to bit it. thicker, and then you have to make it, and then you actually slice it up, and then afterwards you stick it in the, the water again, you know? You boil it. It's actually it. one of the oldest forms ever of actually making a pasta. Really interesting to me with the pistachio pesto. I'm trying that recipe first. And, and then, it's got such oh. a really awesome uh, texture. Yeah, it l- looks it. Very cool. And then leave us with this because there are a lot of chef secrets and tips and tricks throughout the book um, that I loved. And it's really, it's a manual of, of pasta making. And so congratulations to you because you wrote an encyclopedia. Thank uh, you very much. This type of ricotta, this creamy, wonderful ricotta low in water is called ricotta impastata? Yes. Okay, and if we can't find it, see my Italian's getting better just with you here. Um, you say that buy traditional ricotta that we can in the stores and then drain it overnight. You can hang it overnight, yeah. Okay, and then whip it in a food processor and you'll have the Italian equivalent? Yes, that's exactly Beautiful. Right. Just hang it overnight and all the, the extra water sort of you know, uh, dripped out of it, sure. and, and then you know you have it the can way you we... want it. And you, you can either whip it with like with a with a with a whisk, or you can like stick it in the, the food processor. In the food processor. Can't wait to try it. The art and practice of homemade pasta, gnocchi, and risotto, all found in the new cookbook release from Mark Vetri entitled Mastering Pasta. You're right. We could talk about this for hours, Chef. Yeah. And I hope you'll come back and give us a tutorial on gnocchi or um, maybe teach us the beauty of agnolotti. 
So I would love to. You're welcome anytime. He is the respected master of Italian cuisine, Mark Vetri. And the next time that you are in the Philadelphia area, do not miss a Vetri family restaurant and an excerpted recipe from the new book release entitled Mastering Pasta by Mark Vetri, posted at chefjamie.com. Always a pleasure, Chef. Thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you very much for having of me. Of course. There's more delicious conversation and everything you ever wanted to know about this fabulous and fine world of food. Stay tuned. More after the break. Sharing the sweeter side of life this Sunday, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. So, are you looking to up your cookie game? Well, Mindy Siegel is serious about cookies. And Cookie Love is your new go-to, never-fail reference guide for turning out perfectly beautiful cookie recipes every time. Mindy is an award-winning Chicago-based pastry chef and a self-professed cookie nerd. I like you if you're a cookie nerd, Mindy. And she's sharing all of her secrets for turning classic recipes into elevated, fun interpretations of everyone's favorite sweet treat. It is her new cookbook release and her first, in fact. And so we are celebrating cookie love because Mindy is here. Welcome, Mindy. Glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you for those very, very kind words. Yes, most certainly. Okay, let's talk about your cookie fetish, please. I might say I have a cookie fetish too. There's something really simply wonderful to me about a cookie. I don't know. Maybe it's the homey goodness satisfaction factor. Or can you put your finger on it? You know, I I try to describe cookies to people and the way that I interpret cookies is mm-hmm. that they are nuggets of love. Ah, I like it. And um, they hmm. come in so many different forms. They come in fruit. They come in chocolate. They come in nut. They come in caramel, butterscotch. You know, the sky is really the limit. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I guess if you're going to talk about a fetish at all, <laughs> it would be like the textural thing of a cookie. Yes. Um, cookies have multiple textures. And um, the fun thing about creating cookies is that you can create your own textures. And, um, you know, I kind of think I'm pretty good at it, and I kind of taught that in the book. And you definitely did, because I will tell you, I've learned from flipping through the pages and reading the tips and tricks and tools that you use in your restaurant um, as tools of the trade that I can apply to my own kitchen. So I'd like to start at the beginning. I think texture when it comes to a cookie is about mouthfeel, not just just the texture of the crispy edges and the doughy center, let's say. But when it when it comes to mouthfeel, uh, of course, we think of fat. And when it comes to fat for a cookie, I think of butter. So let's talk butter for a minute. Um, temperature, brand preference, cow, goat. And just for the record, I have never baked with goat butter, but I'm very excited to do so. Um, well, first of all, for me, um, the perfect temperature, the internal temperature of butter for perfect malleable butter is between 64 and 68 degrees. Okay. Um, and I found that out because when I was testing the recipes for the book and I started with the drop cookies, I put butter up on top of a shelf and I let it come to temperature and then I, and I had thermometers in them hmm. and I 
it it literally it it because it can't be too warm and it can't be too cold. It has to be sort of like that play-doh kind of like te- texture. <laughs> yes. In your hand, as far as butter is concerned, the higher the butter fat, like European butter, the better the butter. Um, and the better that your cookie is going to come out. And, you know, a lot of people say, like, pelugra is like the, you know... The ultimate. Bees knees of, right. yeah, the bee's knees of butter. Yes. Um, and it is. It's a great butter. I also love Land O'Lakes. I think hmm. Land O'Lakes is a great butter. It's a great all-purpose butter. Um, but I've made cookies with, like, butter that I bought at the little grocery store on the corner that I have no idea what the brand is. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I think that it's... It's about ingredients, but it's also about accessibility. Yes. Um, if push comes to shove, make your own butter. Okay, so talk us through it. Because we've all, um, many great cooks out there, have made our own butter not meaning to do so. You started whipping cream for dessert, right? And then the phone rang or the, the guests walked in or um, my husband hollered. And so I left the kitchen. And then when I came back, I realized that was going to be a beautiful compound butter with a steak what that whipped cream was, a little bit of lemon zest, some salt and pepper, you have it made. It's really a very simple process. It's very simple. Yes. And that's exactly what it is. Um, and then you just strain it and you let it, you let it drain. You let the whey drain from the, the um, solids or the, the, the butter. Right. It's, it's, over, it's over whipped whipped cream. I mean, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I mean, we've all found that out by mistake. Like you right. So, right. Um, I give a recipe for it in the book. Um, it's just a really artisan way of thinking about cookies. You don't have to make your own mm-hmm. um, butter. I mean, it's just a fun thing to do. I mean, like, it would be really fun to make your own butter and then make shortbread cookies. Because, like, shortbread, you can taste the butter, oh. you know. Um, yes. You know, I also have recipes for goat butter. Um, and the reason why they're in the book is because I have friends that can't have dairy. And I think that a great alternative is goat butter because goat butter is not dairy. That's so interesting. That's right. And, you know, I didn't think of it that way. That's that's really fascinating. And you can use it the same way, equal parts proportionally? I do. You do. Okay. Um, it, it is a, it's much earthier yes. than cow's butter. Yes. Um, it's um, slightly like tangier. It, it has a little bit more um, acid mm-hmm. in it, um, but it has a different, it has, it has different enzymes in it than lactate. Um, so it, it's digestible for people that can't have cow, cow's milk. Um, Very so, interesting. Uh, that's why it's in there. It's because I have friends that don't, I'm, I want to, I want to bake for them. As of well. course. No, it makes, it makes good sense. We need to take a quick break, but Mindy, when we come back more cookie love, okay, there's more about, oh, everybody's favorite cookies right after this. Chicago's best-loved pastry chef, and she joins us live. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We're dishing on cookie love. Speaking of shortbread, um, I can't wait to make your corn nut cornmeal shortbread. Oh, yes. Oh, so good. Um, and the basis of a great shortbread is about creaming, right? And I don't... Well, no, wait a second, because there's two different types of shortbread. Okay. So there's, there is 
shortbread that you cream the butter, um, and then there is shortbread that um, is when you cut the butter into the flour, like um, a pie dough. Um, so there's two methods. So it's not all about creaming. Um, it, it's about the different, the two different processes of making shortbread and getting two different outcomes. And when it comes to creaming, though, I have long said on the radio that I don't think we use our kitchen appliances enough. Like, I don't think that great cooks run the food processor long enough or the blender to make silky soup long enough. And there's something to be said for the patience it takes to cream butter and sugar together to that fluffy, light, lovely place. Well, I call it aeration. Yes. Um, and I, instead of creaming, I try to call it aeration because I think that you're trying to get that perfect aeration of the butter and the sugar to form the structure of your dough. Okay. And you get that perfect aeration by making sure the butter is at that perfect malleable temperature. Okay. If your butter's too cold, it's going to take you a really long time to aerate your butter and your sugar. Mm. If the butter is too soft, it's going the friction of, of paddling the butter and the sugar is going to break down the butter and almost melt the butter. And you're never going to get the structure that you need to form. Um, and that's why it's super important that your butter is like at that perfect temperature. And I think that's one of the problems that people make when they are reading a recipe is that they read the recipe, at, well, they don't read the recipe before they make the, the recipe, and then the recipe doesn't come out. And the most important thing about cookbooks, good cookbooks, yes. are actually like books. You want to read them from cover to cover. Yes, you want to read through. what the author is saying about the technique or the idea or whatever it is that they're talking about. And it's really important to have that patience of reading a recipe through and thinking about the technique and making it at least once exactly the way the author wants you to make it so that mm. you can see where they're coming from um, to know how to alter it. Right. And, you know, I think that's really important. I think that's a very good suggestion. And then leave us with dream bars. I love that the introduction to the recipe in Cookie Love says these dream bars have made the rounds. This recipe was passed on and passed on and passed on. And um, I can't think of anything better than a brown sugar meringue on top of a cookie. On top of a shortbread crust with chocolate in the oh, middle. Baby. I mean, it's such okay. a simple, simple, simple thing, but the textures are incredible. Outrageous. And, um, you know, it's a really, it's a great recipe and it's worth trying. Well, congratulations to you. Uh, certainly your legacy as one of Chicago's greatest pastry chefs um, that exists right now is um, being uh, living on, I should say, in the new printed version of Mindy Siegel's first cookbook. It's called Cookie Love, and you'll find recipes for every kind of cookie, including drop cookies and bars and sandwich cookies and shortbread and thumbprints and more, and everything you need to build the ideal cookie pantry as well. We've excerpted a recipe at chefjamie.com, and you can find Mindy as the proprietor of Chicago's popular hot chocolate restaurant and dessert bar next time you head that way. Mindy, I can't wait to come and, and stop by on my next trip to Chicago and congratulations on the book. It's really wonderful. Thank you. Yes, thank you pleasure. very much. As the delicious conversation continues, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Be right back.
Food is life. Create and savor yours. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with truly delicious conversation. Her new book is all about her memories of growing up in Connecticut and Maine, living and cooking on Cape Cod, and building relationships with farmers and fishermen and chefs to make her dishes come alive with flavor. The book is called New England Open House, and I am delighted to have Sarah Chase in your radio. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Of course. Okay, I love this idea that you have really grown up in an area of very distinctive cuisine, but one that has come a long way. And I thought it was so interesting reading through the beginning of the book about this dichotomy of New Englanders style, plain or fancy or both. I like to think it's both. Uh, (laughs) But in the years I was growing up, I thought of it as being very plain. But my mind has definitely changed over the last five years that I have been doing the research on this cookbook. And with that said, the growing abundance of um, artisan products and artisanal ingredients from where you live has grown uh, by leaps and bounds as well. I know the cheeses, of course, um, the... Uh, the produce, I mean, so much of the seafood, what comes from your area lands on your plate. Yes, it does. And, uh, you know, people, the first thing that comes to mind sometimes when you say New England is a New England boiled dinner. Well, that's boring. I don't even have a New England England boiled dinner (laughs) (laughs) recipe in the the cookbook because there's so much more exciting things going on, um, you know, right now. Uh, Just, I mean, the the wealth of of seafood is just uh, staggering and the cheeses that you mentioned and the smokehouses and the orchard revivals and, you know, people are definitely going back to the land and the sea and celebrating, you know, everything that comes from it naturally and locally. Which I think is wonderful. I would like to celebrate the sea with you. So if I name an ingredient, uh, a protein, would you please tell us your best preparation? Like um, the peak of oyster season, what do you make? Well, um, I say in the in the in the book that I'm always always happy eating uh, raw oysters. Mm. They each have a different a different flavor, but I know not everybody uh, celebrates that love of uh, of raw oysters. So I have uh, oyster stews, oyster bakes. Um, a really you know, fun unexpected recipe is when I call oysters Clark Rockefeller. Most people know what oysters Rockefeller is, but there was a uh, fellow who was in the news quite a bit here in uh, New England whose name was Clark Rockefeller. He was ap- uh, actually an imposter. He wasn't a Rockefeller at all, but a, a man from Germany, and he got tried and convicted of various things, but uh, because he was in the news so much when I was writing this, I decided to name a recipe that my next-door neighbor had actually given me, in which he takes, uh, of all things, bird-dye frozen spinach and doctors it with a shallots and pernos and a little bit of sprinkling of cheese and makes one of the most delicious oysters Rockefeller recipe <laughs> you've ever had. And it's, and it's easy. I sometimes think people get intimidated by oyster uh, cooking and the, the, how elaborate it has to be. And this is, you know, this is a recipe that is pretty accessible to, you know, 
anybody with a little sense of an adventure. Sarah Chase, uh, who founded the Massachusetts specialty food shop and catering business, K. Sarah. Sarah, um, much loved by Ina Garten on an early trip uh, to Massachusetts, in fact, which uh, made them longtime friends, um, was a collaborator on the Silver Palette Good Times cookbook, another legendary book, my go-to, Sarah. So congratulations to you. Oh, well, thank you. And the author of Nantucket Open House Cookbook, Cold Weather Cooking, Peddling Through Burgundy and Provence Cookbooks as well, and the newest release entitled New England Open House Cookbook. Book. It is a, a treasure trove of really wonderful New England recipes, and um, and I can't wait to cook from it. And I thank you for sharing your passion, Sarah. Well, I thank you for of course. appreciating it. No, most certainly. Next time um, we are visiting Cape Cod, we will be sure to step into Coastal Goods, your fine seasoning store, and uh, I wish you continued fabulous food. Thank you very much. So that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary exploration. I am all about delectable dishes and exquisite gastronomic experiences. So if it's rich or savory or just downright scrumptious, you will hear about it right here. And I hope you'll tune in every Sunday to do so. If you've missed a show, don't worry. You can find my podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. And you can find daily inspiration at chefjamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Chef Jamie Gwen. I'll leave you with my last bite, as I like to do at the end of the hour. It's actually based on my constant cravings. I do have food cravings. Uh, I will say that they often come from recent restaurant experiences where I rush back to my home kitchen and try to duplicate the dish or from my memories of the dishes my mom made as I was growing up or sometimes from my years in restaurants when I just crave that endive salad with Roquefort and sherry vinaigrette because I can't get enough of it. So this last bite is actually... The craving I have had for that delicious sesame dressing you have on the simple green salad when you go to a Japanese restaurant. I happen to love this mayo-based dressing. It has a burst of sesame flavor, and there are a lot of bottled sesame dressings available on the market, but this one is so easy to make at home, and it tastes just like that hole-in-the-wall restaurant that my husband and I go to and love for authentic Japanese cuisine. Now, you can use the dressing for just about anything. It's great on salad. It's great with pork. It's lovely tossed with thinly sliced cucumber as a cucumber salad, and it happens to be really good on cold noodles too. All you need is five tablespoons of mayonnaise, a tablespoon of rice wine vinegar, two teaspoons of soy sauce, a half a teaspoon of sugar, and a half a teaspoon of salt, two teaspoons of sesame oil, and two tablespoons of ground sesame seeds. Now, I recommend that you grind the seeds yourself, but you could always buy ground sesame. And I simply mix all the ingredients together And then I begin to dip the cucumber, the carrot, and anything else I can find. I'll post the recipe with the ingredients and measurements once again on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I hope that you'll tune in next Sunday as the delicious conversation continues. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. (laughs) 